Hello, and welcome to the Wide Teams Podcast, the podcast for geographically dispersed teams and remote workers, located on the web at wideteams.com and on Twitter at Wide Teams. This is Episode 6 for Monday, July 19th, 2010. I'm your host, Avdi Grimm. One of the most popular parts of RailsConf this year was BoConf, an unconference within the conference put together by the hardworking BMOR on Rails crew. At BoConf, I was able to organize an informal roundtable of developers talking about their experiences with geographically dispersed teams. What you're about to hear is a recording of the first part of that roundtable. It covers a wide range of topics, including teleconferencing practices, why instant messaging can be an anti-pattern, and different strategies for estimating work. I had a lot of fun recording this section, and I hope you'll enjoy the end result. Awesome. So um, maybe we could start by just going around and introducing ourselves and saying, like, you know, if you're if if you're currently working on a uh, a distributed team, or you know, what your status is, and and with that. So I'm Greg Brown, and I'm working on a distributed team with uh, I'm maybe five or six other contractors, um, and we're doing Rails consulting and business applications and that sort of stuff. And uh, we have a combination of local and widespread people, and it's been interesting. I'm uh, Justin Jones. I'm a freelancer, so sometimes I work as doing in-house staff augmentation. Sometimes I'm working on client projects from home, and I'm trying to figure out how I can work from home all the time or preferably work from outside the U.S. if I feel like it. Hey, man. Uh, my name's Jack Dempsey. Um, I'm a now consultant kind of off on my own. Um, uh, I've been working on this website that's actually launching Wednesday uh, called modwedding.com. Um, it's the client is remote. Me and the other people working on it, it's about four of us, are all kind of remote. Um, and then I'm a co-founder of a startup called Eureka.com. And we also are kind of remote, so from, from college. Um, so, yeah, so it's interesting. I've got some questions and some, some thoughts on it. Uh, I'm Felipe Talavera, uh, and I work for Strands, it's a startup, and we are working in different teams in different countries. We have uh, teams in Spain and also here in the USA, so we are working in a distributed way. Um, I want to know to take, improve this. <laughs> what about you? My name is Nathan Hessler. Uh, last name. I'm sure that's important. Um, so I've never worked for a distributed team or on a distributed team except to have like certain members that have been out for days worked from home um, and it's always been a pain mm. like, or, like we've always had like one member who's remote but everybody else is local so we've never had like a good workflow for that situation and it always feels like they're just not a part of the team or if you're taking that day off and working from home it's very easy to like lose focus of work because nobody's like there to keep you focused right like it obviously requires some amount of discipline but it all you just lose communication for that day with the team about, about what's going on if there's any fires and then like you just you know inevitably end up like just surfing or whatever because you're not sure what else to do right like i got to be near my computer in case they talk to me but they're not going to talk to me because i'm not in their eyesight so yeah, I don't know. It's it's definitely something I could see as very beneficial. I'm just not sure, I don't know, how that would happen. So, Okay, well, I'm, I, I don't want this to be an interview, 
Um, so for the rest of this, um, I might toss out some things to discuss, but really just you know have a uh, have a discussion, um, and uh, I'll, I'll just I'll be scooting around you know trying to get my microphone on people because unfortunately I don't have an omnidirectional microphone on me, but uh, but uh, ignore me, um, and uh, uh, just like to kick things off, um, maybe t- uh, if you want to talk about some of the challenge the biggest challenges that you've you've encountered in doing remote work. Um, cool, excellent. Uh, so as far as the the situation you have, most of the, the team in one location and then one or two people kind of chime in and comments on it. There was a, a small blog post by, I don't know if it was a VC or someone, maybe a VC linked to it, but it was really interesting. He's basically said that at their company, even if everyone is, most everyone is in the office and three people are remote, they all call in to the same conversation. So you don't have the situation where three people are laughing about one thing and the guy on the phone the girl elsewhere is kind of sitting there thinking like what's going on I, I, I'm not part of it um, he said it's been really really effective and I, I guess it might be a little strange if you're in the same office to not do that but I know there have been times I think we've all experienced it where there's seven people sitting around uh, you know speakerphone and the person remote is just is basically not even there and they said that when they did this and everyone called in on their phone the participation from the people who were calling in um, was like 50-60% more however they measured that right so it might be interesting in situations like that to, to try it out and just to see. So of everybody can call in. Right, exactly. So you're all kind of on equal playing ground. You'll have to pay attention. You can't just have a bunch of people mumbling jokes. It forces everyone to kind of think of everyone else more respect. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm. We kind of do that in what I'm working on right now because we don't have an office or all remote and it, it generally works out pretty well. Um, but, but yeah, so it might be interesting for you guys to try depending. Yeah. We try to do the same thing even with online meetings. I'm typically working with two other people, but um, we work with our designer and project manager separately, remotely, and if we're doing an online meeting, all of us will actually get on our own computers and log in, even if only one person really needs to be typing. Um, this way, whoever is responsible for answering these questions can say it, and we're all sort of then engaging ourselves in the idea of being everyone in the meeting. Um, so. So I'm curious what, what software, what apps, what um, mechanisms people use because I, for instance, we often use, you know, between cell phones or IM or I know there's better tech out there, there's better solutions, there's apps built for this sort of thing that we're not using for some reason and it's generally not a money issue. I mean, we've got Basecamp so we could afford Campfire or whatever else but it's, it's I find challenges sometimes of getting people even, like we're using Google Docs for bug tracking. I mean, it's not good at times. And we'll start using GitHub for, for that um, issues. But, uh, but yeah, so I'm curious what people are using tech-wise as far as communication-wise. And, you know. We actually, well, Etherpad was still live. I mean, I'm sure there's replacements for it now, or you can run it yourself. Um, we actually used to use Etherpad a lot because then what we would do is it's sort of hard to um, collaboratively like pair with someone programming, but what we could do is we could do requirements discovery and things like that live and uh, or collaborative note-taking on something like that, and it works really well because then you've got the transcript. Um, for things that are more free-flowing conversation, we would use Campfire. Um, actually, I 
found that any use of I am is pretty much an anti-pattern because it always leaves somebody out and something like campfire or etherpad at least the whole team can go back and get at it um, so pretty much and we also will set up um, Google or Google groups for mailing lists and things like that again even though we can all email each other putting it there for archiving purposes or if someone new jumps onto a project then they have the full history but I mean there's a lot of things that we haven't solved yet um, our time tracking I've been using Google Docs to do and that's a nightmare so we're actually building we're building a system that works into our workflow and answers a lot of the questions about budgeting and t- balancing and things like that and we're trying to make it so that it fits into the developer workflow it's just a command line app but then on the back end you're getting all the analytics and invoicing and stuff that you'd want um, and we also want to build an asset manager because again even with a mailing list it's sort of hard to search for stuff I mean for assets I don't have a good solution um, even Basecamp is not what I want what I really want to be able to do is sort of have like a concept of like note cards that are tagged with a bunch of metadata and um, can be linked together and have sort of just little blurbs of text and then attachments to them and then be able to have like wicked good search because I mean that's what I use I mean I have a Gmail account that I actually just ferry this stuff into because that's the best approximation to it but what I would love to be able to do is save like a, a live search of something that you commonly look for like all of the assets across a certain aspect and then have it auto update as you enter stuff into the system that sort of stuff so we're, we're, we're trying to build up tooling and, and um, the one one thing that made a huge difference, I don't know if you guys are using it, is Pivotal. Uh, yeah, I was actually using that. We're yeah. thinking about switching to it. And it really reduced our use of a bug tracker because you're thinking in terms of stories and then, I mean, there, there are certain bugs that are just regressions and those are the sort of things that you can pretty much track because something's just flat out broken. Um, and we might take notes of them, but it's really, if you focus on features in the concept of what the actual value of them are, instead of like, add such and such a method to this class, add such and such a widget to this view, or something like that, uh, the bug tracker puts you in that direction, and that's exactly where you don't want to be. Right, exactly. The bug tracker kind of helps defend the developer a bit, so you can say, like, every time you ask for another feature, we're experiencing this right now, um, it's going to push things back. Yes. Like there's the, the, the time, at least as far as our lives go, is, is finite. And, you know, if you add more things, something's got to give. You can't just add more features and still meet the same kind of deadline. And it forces you to look at that. If you add too much, you know, time slipped. Yeah. And so you can say, look, and then people understand that. They can see that. There's something to argue about. Um, and it really reduces the level of translation that we've been doing between developers and business stakeholders just because I found that if you have well community teams, and if you're working remotely, you should. I mean, you need to have people have good communication. We have a pretty easy time communicating with our customers, though if we go, okay, look at these things that we're supposed to be doing, and they're in technical terms, it's very hard to get a customer to do that. So, when I'm storing these things in terms of actual value-added feature definitions, it's very easy to say, just speak out loud off the list. I mean, I'll still type it in, but I can look at the list and say, oh, remember this, this, and that that we were going to do? Is that still a high priority? Because if not, I have to push it back things like that yeah it's funny you bring up Pivotal I think that's one of the best tools I've used for um, working on a remote team for sure um, 
and it, it, I think it kind of addresses that problem of like when you're when you're sitting by yourself and you're like, what do I need to work on next? Someone can actually see, but like hopefully preempt that problem and say like, oh, this person has you know only one or zero things to work on and push you work, right. or see oh they're overloaded. Okay, right. know that they have enough to carry them through the rest of the week or right. something. Right. You know, or you can look at the high priority stuff and pull stuff yourself. So like having just like a kind of a, a stack of tasks that need to be done that's accessible by everyone over the internet. So I'm, I'm curious of how people who are using Pivotal, what are you, what sort of metrics are you using for the, the point estimates? Because it seems like it's sort of an open-ended thing for what you could do with it. And we've got a system that I like what we do, but I'd be curious how other people are using it. I, I don't really have the experience to, to say that. I, I've tried to adopt some of that into you know a column in Google Docs where it's small, medium, or large, and very quickly it got to extra, extra small, and extra large, and large kind of medium, and so, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with that. Um, I don't know. I don't have a good, good solution for it. Some people use, like, a number of hours, or sometimes, you know, you we used the system at one point where it was like, oh, you know, one is I can, I can do it right now, a two is... I pretty much know how to do it. And the three is, I have to do some research. I don't know how long it's, you know. Yeah, that's that's actually, that's pretty much exactly what we're doing, which is basically that we'll make something a zero pointer if it's like correcting a typo. Right. Um, A one is, I know exactly, I could write on a napkin my implementation of this. And the the only test, you know, you have to test it and deploy it. That's it. Um, And then a two is, I know what, I, I know the general picture, but there's some unknowns. And then a three, almost always in our team, turns into several ones and twos later. It's yeah. just sort of a placeholder of this is a tough nut to crack and then you go back. But what we've been doing is a two-stage process where we put in our perceived difficulty and that affects our scheduling. Right. But then for retrospective, we go back and re-update it to what it actually was um, only because then when we look back on it, we say, oh, this thing we thought was really hard, it wasn't. Yeah. Where if we didn't go and update it, then we don't really... And retrospectives are key for like fine-tuning that system, you know, like as, as you have a team with different abilities or like as they get more expertise with the tools you're using, you know, you have to like fine-tune those numbers a bit. So like to have that number and then the actual time you can actually go forward with it. So we actually do something different with the story points. We we ask the person that is most informed on that ticket what the story points would be for them. And then if somebody else picks it up, it's still the same story points. We don't adjust for the lack of knowledge. But that, I mean, if they spend more time on it, so be it. We just know that in the end, it really required so much difficulty at some level. Like, it's not about the time that they spent on it. It's about the time that could have been spent on it or that kind of thing. Or, And then that way you kind of know, like, if, they, if somebody rated it as a two, we, use, we actually use an exponential system, like one, two, four, and eight. Because, like, three gets, like, is that really two? We don't know, right? Like, um, yeah. So, I mean, we get into those situations, but... Um, the point is, right, like, if, if, like, the expert in that area rated it as a 2, and you're like, oh, I think I can help out there, do you really want to get into that? But if it's a .5 or a 1, right, like, you could probably jump in there, and it may take you a little bit longer, but you can do it, especially if they're, like, overloaded or whatever, right? So your velocity may go down, but... Learning more about that, so they're, you're putting an effort towards getting everyone able to work on different problems at the same speed. So... 
there's a tricky part about that, which is that a lot of times we will, I do most of our back-end and infrastructure work, but then I hand my stuff off to a front-end person, and then I hand it to a QA person. So we actually need to, there's, there's really, in that sort of case, through a single feature, I mean, we could bust it out, but I actually don't like to think of it that way. I like to think of um, it in terms of the, the total cost from conceptual phase to deployment, because that's what I really think of a feature being. But the difficulty of that is that you need to keep getting the input from each person. So, I mean, what will normally happen is I might mark a ticket as a one on the back end, and then it hits the front end, and we'll upgrade it once if we, we hit a snag anywhere up. So it's basically a system in which it can go up, but never down from subsequent stages. Um, and it actually, that seems to work out okay, though it's tricky because we're doing a lot of updating, and our history is actually the combination of those three people's input. So uh, we lose some uh, granularity there. Is anyone doing planning poker? No, I don't, I don't think I've even heard of that. Planning poker? That, that's when you, um, when every... It's, in person, it's done with, with, with some cards that are marked with your point numbers, and, and everybody raises their estimate at the same time. And then if there's a wide, if there's a, you know, a big difference, then you discuss you know, why someone's high or why someone's, someone's low. Well, <laughs> I bring it up because I'm curious if anybody's doing that remotely. I've, I've been doing that um, with a couple of teams, uh, but uh, I was curious how other people are doing it. Um, I actually wrote a little in-house tool um, for it once, but uh, that stayed in-house. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, usually it's just been like everybody gets on campfire, um, and um, you know, somebody on Skype, somebody says, you know, one, two, three, go, and uh, and then everybody just sort of punches out their number on campfire. Uh, but I was just curious if anybody else was doing that. We tried it for one big project. I mean, we were all in one room, so it's kind of. Not exactly the wide question, but I thought it was fascinating. I thought it took a long time because we had a two-sided page list of features, single-spaced. So that was felt kind of wasty, but the fact that some issues were one hour, one day automatically, and some were one day, three days gave us a good chance of seeing the whole project at once and getting our ideas out. So as a comment on planning poker, I liked the concept. I think we went overboard, but... Uh, I don't, even with story points, I wouldn't do your whole project. I would do what you're going to do for that sprint, and that's it, because that's going to change everything else, right? Like, it does give you a good snapshot for that moment, but two weeks later, things are going to change because there's... You know what I'm saying? Like, really need, it needs to be very localized. I think... I think we had, so we had paper, everybody wrote down, then we went through. I think something that would work remotely would be like gist. You have a list, everybody copies it, pastes it into their gist. Fork it and go. For, yeah, fork it and change it, and then publish it at the same time and open everything up. And Even do a diff to see what's, you know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you all agree? Uh, diff. Done. Perfect. <laughs> Story points. We never, ever try to evaluate an entire project. We put everything in the icebox, and then we will do it, you know, in one or two-week iterations. And basically, everything gets triaged and entered in, but then not estimated until the people who have time to actually estimate them estimate it. And we do, um, at least on our team, we do hard deadlines 
deadlines and not necessarily hard feature sets. So we basically say, we're going to ship this day no matter what. And then once the team gets a chance to estimate, we'll update mid-iteration and we'll say, this is what we're going to be delivering. Try to do that as soon as possible, but typically it requires a little bit of back and forth. And then, you know, if, if we don't get the feedback from the customer or for some reason our team can't commit to something, we don't set a set of expectations without having the stuff estimated. But we have to definitely do it in small chunks. So when you said the whole project, it, there's no way you could ever do it if you're looking at a ticket that's four weeks old or something like that. Thanks for listening to the Wide Teams podcast. Stay tuned next week for the second and final part of this roundtable discussion. If you enjoyed this episode, or if you have a comment, question, or suggestion, please go to wideteams.com and leave some feedback. This is Avdi Grimm, signing off.